0: I told Jay, the producer of this podcast, I wanted to focus more on interesting stories that excite me. I wanted something that, you know, was a little bit seamier, where it's harder to find these stories. Like, I'm always curious about people who hack other people's computers into their email accounts, into their Instagrams, into their phone. I'm a former developer, hacker myself, but nowhere near at this level. Jay, how did you find this guy? Through a friend, He recommended me, Joseph Harris. His story is crazy. Like, who would have hacked someone else's account at 12 years old? And he teaches us exactly how he did everything. So, I hope, I actually am a little nervous. I hope people don't use this episode for nefarious purposes, but it is interesting and it also is helpful to protect yourself. And I've had other like cybersecurity people on before, but nothing like this. This is like the how to guide. This is the White Hat Bible. Thank you, Jay, for finding this guest. So, Joseph Harris, thanks for coming on the podcast. No problem. I heard some of your stories, not all of them. I'm sure you have many to tell, but you started basically getting into, let's call it respectfully, the cybersecurity space when you were 12 years old?
1: Yes. Before I got into finding bugs and actual hacking stuff things, I was what we call a social engineer, breaking into emails.
0: But before you were doing all this, so like when you were like 11 or 10?
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like 11 or 10, very young age. I had a fascination with online game accounts and I wanted these rare accounts. So my logic was let me try to break into these accounts via social engineering techniques. And that's how I got started.
0: And and so I guess the benefit is like if you play that game or maybe that, maybe some game account has like huge numbers of, I don't know, hero Items. points or whatever right. that they could cash in for armor and, and, and powers and all that kind of stuff. So you could play the game. So you could t- defeat more people in the game. And so it'd be, it would be a big item to have one of these accounts.
1: That's correct, and honestly, because the items are so big, usually these items translate into real-world value,
0: like people are willing willing to pay real money for them. Sure. Yeah, no, there's like exchanges for people's accounts. Yeah, oh, exactly, 100%. So how would you steal someone's game account at the age of 12?
1: Well, at the age of 12, um, it started by just calling the game company and sort of just seeing what information they needed to give me the account. So they might be like, oh, what's your first and last name and address, and what's the email and username? And so that's how I first sort of got into it. But then eventually the game companies were starting to get a little more strict, like, okay, you know, we're not necessarily just going to give out the accounts. I think there was one time where they recognized my voice too, like, Joseph, you've called here a few times this week. Please stop, you know? So then I started.
0: But but wait, hold on a second. Did you get someone's game account? And like, what happened? Like, did they uh, protest? Did they? Ha- did you have to give it back? or Or like, what happened? I think they get, gave it to me and I had pulled this off a few times and eventually
1: I think they banned the accounts forever. So I had gone away with a few accounts and then because I was being persistent, still calling for other game accounts, they just started banning me forever.
0: I see. So they, were, they kind of figured out the, what you were up to and what, what you were asking for and, and so they would recognize when you called. And, but did, th- did those people ever get their game accounts back or they were just like stuck? Uh.
1: I think they were just stuck. I think I maintained control of the game account, but it was banned forever, essentially.
0: Did you? Were you able to sell any accounts before they banned it? Oh,
1: oh yeah, I definitely was able to sell one. I uh, look up. They would go for a couple hundred bucks, something like that. So I definitely got away with it that way. Uh, but. Then I was starting to think, okay, well, why don't I just target their emails because then I don't have to deal with the support. Instead, I could just go through a different support and just reset their password that way. And that's when I started getting into calling up Yahoo, AOL, and finding ways to get into these
0: accounts. And what, what, what years, what, what roughly what years were this around?
1: Uh, I would say 2010 is when it started. And it went 2010 up until, you know, 2018.
0: So it was pretty, I mean, this is like, it's pretty hard to hack someone's email account, particularly like I would imagine Yahoo, AOL. Uh, they've had years to, to fix oh, any correct. bugs. But like, so what, what would you do?
1: Uh, typically, I would just AOL, uh, which was notoriously bad for security. To reset someone's AOL password, all you need was their address, basically. So you needed their first and last name and their address. Now there's sites like White Pages and you know Spokeo where you can basically look up anyone's address. Especially back in 2010, there's just a list of everyone's address you could get almost always for free. So I would look up their first and last name, do some detective work, find their address then call AOL and get them to reset the account for me. Stuff like that.
0: Wow. So you would, you would call AOL and say, listen, I, I don't know what my password is. I, I, that was the only email account I used, so you can't even like, uh, email me a new you know, Twitter right. email address. Uh, what can I do? And they would, and you knew what they would ask. So you would ask, well, just tell us you know, the past three places you've lived. And you would tell them, and, and they'd be like, okay, here's, here's a reset link.
1: Typically, they would say, what's your security question answer? And I'd say, oh, I I must have written something down that was wrong or something. And then they'd be like, okay, well, don't worry, Joseph, or whatever person yeah. I'm impersonating. And then they would ask for Yeah, whatever, carry. <laughs> Typically, there was sometimes where I called us a female and they just didn't care, I guess. <laughs> like, oh, Jessica, huh? Okay, sure, we'll reset the password for you. Uh, but I would verify the address
0: and then they would reset the account. So you got into someone's email or you got into a couple people's email accounts. Did you ever see anything interesting?
1: I typically was so laser uh, focused on the accounts that I didn't really like think, okay, what are you really emailing about? I was more, let's get the email, let's secure the email and let's take over the account.
0: And then what would you do with the account?
1: Well, the account, I would then sell it for cash. You know, I would sell it on, I use a site called xat.com and, or Zat and you could, there was a little chat box and i typically had customers who would come to me and buy it for real life cash
0: well why would somebody want to buy someone else's email account
1: oh they wouldn't buy the email
0: they want to buy that
1: account that was linked to that email so i got into the email but now that i own the email how do i reset the person's account i do a forgot password on their account and then reset the account that way because the email's tied to the account
0: oh and these are like game accounts yeah exactly i see so this is how you would sell this is how you continue to sell game accounts right correct i got it and so you, uh what about like how long would the email be kind of in your hands in the sense that i imagine the person who owned the email would figure out a way to get it back
1: well typically i had some tricks up my sleeve to basically make sure they wouldn't get it back uh for yahoo i could ask to speak to a manager and get them to change the original security questions on file, and if I did that, when they called, hey, what was the name of your first pet? Well, that's not the answer I set up, and then Yahoo would just refuse to give them the email back. And the same would go for AOL. I could get the original security question changed, and I could also get that zip code on file say, hey, listen, uh, that's not my address anymore. Update their zip code, and they couldn't get their AOL back either.
0: Wow, okay. And, and we're going to describe many more things but i let's just reel it back a second because this is real so interesting like where where are you from where where did you grow up i grew up in kansas city missouri
1: i've been born and raised lived there my whole life and and like what did your parents do uh my mom was a school teacher and my dad was on disability most of my life he did do a few odd jobs in here and there but he uh he was basically on disability. So it wasn't like I was from a super rich family or we were kind of lower class family, you know, didn't have too much money growing up, but you know, they were both good parents to me and raised me well.
0: And, and did they know what you were up to at this time? Or like, what did they, I mean, again, by the way, a lot of this, I mean, there's other stuff you did later, which is even more serious, but a lot of this stuff you're beginning with, you're 12 years old. It's hard to know. What's going on? What's right? Or, I mean,
1: yeah, you're, I mean, that's such an early stage of development still. And you're getting this reward factor from getting money off doing these acts. So that gives you sort of a little boost in confidence.
0: And you could justify it's just a game. You're not Yeah, hurting anybody. exactly. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not condoning this, but I could see how a 12 year old could not understand all the issues and consequences. And there was probably no need to tell your parents what you were up to because, you're, right, you know, they, Nobody was reporting you. You weren't getting in trouble, exactly. Uh, and just to kind of skip around, like, what you know, what are you doing right now? Well, right
1: now I'm still in the hacking space, but I do it ethically. So I look for bugs in companies or vulnerabilities. Typically, I use tools to look through the thing and try different uh, techniques to break into email providers or phone carriers. Just finding flaws in websites. I do my area of expertise is web hacking. So that involves all stuff web related like exploiting http requests stuff like that.
0: So I want to get back to this and a little bit more of the the how to, but um let's let's go back to your kind of evolution as a as a hacker. So a lot of this stuff was the is like as you mentioned earlier is the social engineering kind where you 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 call people up, you pretend to be someone else and you're able to kind of figure out the ways in which you can get information out of people, enough information to then use it in a practical way to steal someone's email account or game account or correct. whatever. And then you evolved into ultimately using real coding skills to find bugs and vulnerabilities where you could hack into websites and and so on. so that those are That's two correct. those are like the two ends of the spectrum of hacking. Correct. So what happened next? So you're stealing the game accounts you're doing what what made you stop doing that? Because that's still like uh, a lucrative business, I think, selling game accounts.
1: I mean, I was still doing it for uh, years to come. I started focusing on, still I was focusing on accounts that I could sell for money. Uh, but then I sort of got into the side of like actually finding vulnerabilities because it's a lot easier to find a vulnerability that straight up takes over an email than it is to call up the email provider.
0: Did the calling up the email provider, did that trick, did they ever kind of get smarter about it?
1: there there was times where they get smarter but typically if i kept calling them and i could get lucky maybe after a few tries maybe i didn't have the correct answers but maybe it took just a rep that wasn't quite on point to slip up and give you the account but you know there was always chances where i couldn't get the email but like it worked a lot of the time but there were times where i just they were too secure i couldn't find a way past it, their security questions or something
0: and and do you think you can do this now um, I mean, I
1: saw recently Yahoo has a call service now for paid customers. So I feel like if I was given the chance today, I think I could figure something out, <laughs> to be honest. I feel like companies like Yahoo and AOL have... They might have uptight their security a bit more, but I think they're still kind of living in past security methods. Like typically when you think of Hotmail and Gmail, there is no call option to reset the account. It relies on your IP, your alternate emails, but Yahoo and AOL still rely on calling up on the phone to get your account back. And that's where human
0: error falls in. Are there other old services like, I don't know, Juno or Mail.com? Yeah, or-
1: and I've actually, speaking of that, I've actually found a bug bug in Juno recently
0: uh, that I reported. Wow, so, so people still use Juno email accounts. Yeah. I remember their IPO in like 1999.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they still use them. I think it's uh, not as big anymore, but uh, I still found something that could have let me take over Juno accounts, and I reported that earlier this year.
0: Wow, okay, and well, I definitely want to talk about the, the bug bounties. Um, So so you kept doing this, and then but then you. When did you start like actual coding and and real let's call it real hacking as opposed to social engineering? Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say I got into like real hacking in about twenty fourteen. I'm not saying I was good at it yet. I was able to sort of piece together uh, certain things and find my first vulnerability was one that I heard about, but I didn't know how to do it. But I spent like a day looking and I figured it out. It was something real simple, like. Uh, changing a radio value from one to two, something just really basic, but it led to me being able to uh, send calls to a phone which I could intercept and then reset an account
0: for. Okay, Uh, wait, wait, let's let's start over because I want to understand this. So you started hacking into what to find what? I mean, I was typically looking for bugs in email
1: providers, you know, bugs that either expose sensitive information or bugs that let me get an upper hand into breaking into the account.
0: So like your your first one was what?
1: Uh, My first one that I found was just something that allowed me to send a call instead of a text. And then I could intercept the call and reset someone's email. So basically there was two call options. To reset an email, you needed to send to a text to the phone, which I couldn't get, or I could send a call to their number, but it wouldn't give you the call option. So my first bug was just simply modifying the post request so it gave a call option instead of a text option. And then I got your phone provider to call forward the text to me so then I could just use that code to reset their email.
0: And how would you, how would you interest, like, okay, let me just guess. I'm just, I'm just playing around here. I don't know how to do this or anything, but I'm just thinking out loud. So would you be, listening at the, let's call them virtual ports of the main server of the email provider? Well, it was
1: an API call. I think if I remember correctly back then, it was basically just an API that sent the code to the phone. So I would be looking at the HTTP traffic and I'd be intercepting that. And I would grab that post request to send the code and then alter the
0: post request to do a call instead. And where where would the, um, the HTTP request be coming from?
1: Well, it's back then I used uh, Tamper Data to look at HTTP traffic, but I mean, you can do it right now if you just inspect Element and then go to the Network tab. Uh, you can literally see every single HTTP traffic going through. But so, how would you
0: know? I mean, there's so much HTTP traffic. How would you know it was from the 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 email provider that you wanted?
1: Well, you would see that it was from the domain Google. You would see it's an account.google, and you would see that it was it would say in the post data that it's sending the request. So I you see. Can, so,
0: so you would monitor basically some network hub, I guess? and
1: Yeah, just the HTTP traffic being sent up, and I would modify the post request data that's being sent out. So instead of sending call to SMS, I'm changing it to radio 2, which means it's going to do a call to the
0: phone instead of a text right i see so how would you be listening to the http traffic
1: i mean there it's it's public display it's not like it's something that's hidden that stuff can always be captured with a web debugger as the requests are being sent out like like i mentioned just now if you go to chrome and inspect and then go to the network tab and then enter anything. All that traffic is being logged as you make the request. So it's not like it's private information. Any time I make a request to a server or do something, there's going to be HTTP traffic that's public to be logged.
0: But I, but you, so you were watching basically all HTTP traffic and filtering out Google?
1: I was looking at all HTTP traffic for that Google, and then I was looking for the right request that had the data that I needed to modify to be
0: able to send
1: out the request with a modified uh, parameter. I, I got
0: I got it. So then yeah. you would basically then get the reset link, reset the password and now you have the email account.
1: That's correct.
0: Yes. And so I imagine that's fairly straightforward. Were a lot of people doing this. It seems like you could basically um if you if you're patient long enough, you could basically get everyone's email account.
1: Yeah, that's that's sort of the idea of it. Uh, you know, it's, there was some of these bugs that were in the early days where you wouldn't see this kind of like low level of bug back then but I mean now, but back then it was just notoriously there was stuff like that that just worked that you know nowadays companies are a lot more secure they're not gonna just have something like that they're gonna have proper uh, access control around their apis and stuff
0: but I'm amazed though even 2010 is not like it's not like those are early days I mean
1: yeah, I know that's what it's that's what's interesting I mean personally uh, I found one of my first other bugs that I found was another Google one. So I found within the course of a year, I had found two Gmail-related bugs. The other one was with, uh, well, if you want me to go into it yeah, now, Yeah, yeah, of course. Or, so the other one was basically making it appear as if I had signed in before. So back in 2015, uh, Google's uh, reset form relied heavily on IP address and uh, cookies, To basically reset your form. So basically, if you had, it seemed, if it had reset us, if you appeared to sign in before, it would reset the account for you. So basically, if I today, say I'm in 2015, I'm logged into my Gmail, and then I do a forgot password on my Gmail, the form, the recovery form is going to recognize my IP, it's going to recognize my device, it's going to allow me to quickly reset because it shows on their end. Um, I'm already signed in. So what I found was I found a trick where I was signed in, I can make it appear as if I was signed into someone else's Gmail. So now the recovery form is favoring me as if I'm signed into the account right now and giving me either easier options to reset the account.
0: Would you have to know their IP address?
1: No, I wouldn't need to do that. So but it may look like it may look like my session cookies and my IP was already attached to that Gmail, even if I've never signed into their account before. I
0: see. So, so they basically wouldn't verify that the IP address matches the email address. They just needed to see that they just needed to see this format basically. That here's an email address. Here's the IP address we've seen before. Here's the cookie we've seen before. Now we're good. Yeah, exactly.
1: And the way it looked on the servers then was, hey, this person signed into this Google account right now.
0: Let's trust them. We'll reset the account for them manually. So, and you would and you would do that by just um, manipulating the request. Like yeah, ATT's exactly. Request?
1: exactly. Uh, that was that was sort of the gist of it. But this was more just first, I would go to the account and then later on, I could go back and it would appear as if I was signed in before. So it would take it would briefly take a period to register my IP on the account, but then I could come back and the account would start recognizing me as if I owned it before.
0: That's fascinating. And so how many accounts did you kind of get this way?
1: Um, probably a decent amount. Like I would say over, over 10 accounts, you know, uh, this was a good way that worked for about a
0: month before Google finally patched it. And they, did they patch it because they, people were complaining, like they were uh, onto you or did they, patch I, it?
1: I remember going after the email Godzilla at Gmail and just straight up taking it. And I think it was actually an employees account because I saw stuff relating to Google there. So I think I targeted just the wrong email address, and it happened to be a Google employee. Because I started going after the cool names on Gmail, like something like Godzilla or cool, or it's six characters up, but just those sort of like simple names, like simple at Gmail. And I think one of the people just happened to be one of the people that worked for Google. And so unfortunately, I think that's what kind of led to it being patched.
0: It would be good if you knew who it was. If you remember who it was, we could just write them right now and say, hey, can you come on the podcast?
1: Uh, that Yeah, that would be good. It was just Godzilla at gmail.com. <laughs> There's, that was their email. I was just targeting them because I thought the name was cool. I'm a huge
0: Godzilla fan. And so you think, you think that person worked at, well, if, if they work at Google though, they would have like, their email would be like, G- googlemail.com instead of gmail.com
1: yeah exactly it would be at google uh, google.com but the thing is I think they must have been one of those early people that registered for Gmail in 2004 I remember seeing they had like another email that was at Google but I think they just happened to have Gmail I mean you can have a, a regular gmail address and be a
0: Google employee you yeah know? right probably for the best so this way when you're yeah. not a Google employee you still have your your email but that's fascinating so you so they you think they kind of said, hey, there's something weird here. We got to patch this. And they found it. Correct. Yeah, I
1: think so. This one wasn't too complicated to find. So I think it was it, because it was just making all of a sudden these accounts were appearing as if you had signed in before and then you could reset them through the form. So then Google must have caught on that emails were disappearing and then figured out the cause of the problem and then patched it. But it still took a month, which typically stuff like that is patched a lot quicker. Like there was an AOL one. um uh, that got in a few days that was pretty severe like that?
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you an email, one that I did in the 90s. Um, there was a, a, a port that was just like, so basically this a computer you can think of virtually as this big listening machine. Right. And it has all these ports, what's well, called ports, but they're like windows where things fly in and out. And one port is for all communication that's email. Another port's for all communication. That's HTTP or the web. Yeah. Another one might be a port for logging into the computer. And so if you knew kind of the language of that port, you could talk to the port. So you could say, hi, I'm an email. Here's my name. Here's my subject. Here's my text. And most computers, this is in the nineties, most computers didn't really, there was zero security. So you could just pretend to be anybody you wanted. Like I would write emails to friends of mine, just joking around saying I'm like the legal team at MTV.com. And you need to call us right now. Cause you're in big trouble. <laughs> and yeah. I would do stuff like that because you could just be anybody. you could be like Bill Clinton then and send emails to people. And the, I don't know why the most email servers had that hole. Now they don't of course, but, right. but that was like a common type of hack then.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, the stuff like that is still how it's done. Like port 80, obviously, which is listening to the HTTP traffic. So that's how Google listens into, that's how I'm capturing HTTP. I'm listening to that port 80. So yeah, it's somewhat similar with stuff like that. I actually had an interesting Yahoo one that was, uh, I was able to send an email from any Yahoo, but that was like later on, like 2016, 2017.
0: so you're doing these google hacks and it's just to get the game accounts of these people right it's you, strictly you never, for the go- like tried to get like your girlfriends or or your no. parents email right or teachers no i never or- like that no
1: i was strictly for
0: these game accounts is that how you kind of like sort of justified it to yourself
1: yeah you know, at this point, I'm someone who is a little shy as a kid, and I'm getting sort of an ego boost from taking these accounts. It makes me feel like it's I mean, it's wrong, obviously, at this like even thinking back to now, I'm like, how was I so blind by by what I was doing? But as a kid, it's something that I'm becoming good at. you know, it's it gives a kid a, like strange sense of power if I'm suddenly able to just take someone's email account. And so I was uh, I think I was just kind of justifying it as well, you know, they're just game accounts. You know, it makes me feel good to do this because it's sort of an accomplishment. And I think that was my justification for it. But obviously looking back on now, it's, there's a lot of regret and stuff around it.
0: And you were making money. You were selling these game accounts. Like, I mean, I had a paper route as a kid, but I didn't make like a couple hundred dollars selling like someone's account. Like you were probably pretty loaded for However old you were,
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, I could buy the new games on Xbox. You know, I just order it to my house and stuff. My mom set me up a PayPal student account, which if you're over 13, you can uh, use PayPal as a minor. And so I had a bunch of money in my little PayPal student account. Not a bunch, but a couple thousand. You know, I'm like 13, 14, 15.
0: I mean, that's amazing. So, so okay, how how what was the next evolution in your skill set or your your wants or your needs or whatever were you playing the games or you didn't care about that
1: uh i wasn't really playing the games i I was more fascinated by the account
0: i see so so and and it's it's interesting that like were you reading were you reading places on how to hack or give you they gave you ideas on how to do these different things
1: Uh, uh yeah i was mostly yeah i was reading resources like there's a lot of uh like, like hacker resources, stuff like, you know, Burp Suite wasn't as big now, but obviously now you can go to Portswigger and do labs and stuff like that. Portswigger.net, which is basically just, I, I don't know if you've heard of Burp Suite. No. Uh, it's basically a, in, like a penetration testing software that's used by a lot of companies. It's, it's what I personally use these days, but uh, they have a lot of labs and stuff to learn different types of exploiting and stuff like that. A lot of their labs are a little outdated now, but... You know that's how i learned stuff
0: so okay T- tell me the names of these websites again so what which what's the burt one uh well portswigger.net
1: basically it's the company that produces burp suite which is basically just a web application for uh testing security and stuff like that like you can do scans you know you can obviously intercept the http traffic you know you can intercept uh
0: web sockets of course too i see so if i'm making a website for instance i can use this service to see if there's any, if I'm missing any basic security.
1: Flags. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it will, there's also like a list of lists, like it will help you. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. But you can also do the more manual stuff. Like before I, I started, I use Burp Suite now, but back then I was using little Firefox extensions. I wasn't at the skill level I am now. I was still pulling these things off, but I wasn't as tech savvy with, as I am now with it. What did you do next? What sort of made you more tech savvy? Uh, I think it's just uh, more learning about just how, uh, you know, stuff work, HTTP traffic, stuff like that, what makes websites tick, this works for that reason. You know, you're starting to see things work, but you're not exactly having understanding why it works. So then that prompts you to do more research into, okay, why does this work like this? And then you sort of get a more learning
0: and then you're able to
1: learn how to exploit things furthermore.
0: Like what was a tipping point that was like a, something you learned that was a big advancement in your knowledge? I think it was just finally getting a better
1: understanding about just post requests, API calls, stuff like that. You know, learning, I remember a big breakthrough for me was when I realized that a common technique was IDORS, which is an insecure direct object reference, which is basically an API or something sets a user parameter, which is, can be if they don't set proper access control around that user parameter, I can enter anyone's user ID and then we'll pump out their response data or
0: possibly let me modify their account details. I see. So it's like an advanced version of, let's say someone is on a social media site and labels a post private, but, yeah. but if the site was set up in such a way that if you knew the exact URL, you could still get it as opposed to clicking. Like if you clicked on the link, it might not work, but if you knew the exact URL, somehow it would work. Like if sites forget yeah. to kind of patch up those types of flaws.
1: Yeah, well, let's just, let me just make a a scenario right here for you. Let's say Twitter is not going to have this, but let's just say I'm going to make a tweet on Twitter. I type something up, I tweet, and once again, I'm looking at that HTTP traffic. Let's see, it says I'm tweeting from user ID 1334. And now what happens if I modify that user ID parameter to 1333? If there's proper access control, it's going to say access denied. I'm not going to be able to send us that person. But if there's not improper access control, I'm going to be able to send us that user ID instead of my own.
0: I see. So potentially that means like you could log in or you could uh, you tweet
1: us that person. You could view their information. So that's typically the idea behind iDoors.
0: Like, like when, when, when suddenly someone releases all of like, I don't know, a famous person's photos, like Kim Kardashian's photos all released. Is that, is that one of the ways they do it maybe? like going
1: I to- think I think stuff like that's typically social engineering, breaking into the iCloud and then leaking the photos that way. I don't think there could be some technical side to that, but I think that's more through social engineering. And I knew some guys when I was into this stuff that they would. That's what they do. They'd sim swap the phone of the person and then they would break in their iCloud via the text message and then they would leak their nudes or whatever they were doing. I never personally was into that. but what, What's a sim swap? So a SIM swap is when um, one person has a phone and I want their number and I trick that cell phone provider to transfer their SIM uh, SIM data over to my SIM card that I control and now I can receive their texts and calls and all that stuff.
0: So okay, how, so I'm um, just trying to understand. So in a phone, there's a usually a SIM card, which kind of is your identity. Exactly. And that's how a phone knows who you are. Yes. And, and so is that SIM card encodable so you could take someone's sim card information and put it on your sim card so now it looks like their sim card
1: well basically the idea is you're tricking the at&t the t-mobiles you're tricking them to say hey i have a new sim card can you transfer your my identity to this new sim card and when they do that suddenly you have control over their cell phones their text all that stuff
0: and how would you do that because i would think they would know oh no this person just used the sim card 10 seconds ago or this is not the real sim card
1: yeah, they typically don't, but they just typically just ask for information, like to verify you are who you are. Back when I was doing it, they would ask for last for a social. So you would get someone's last for a social, and then you'd be able to call and they'd manually switch it for you. Even if they see it's active, they're not going to question it because you verified yourself as the account holder.
0: I see. So you would just, it would be social engineering. You'd go to yeah. like the phone store and say, hey, I lost my old phone. Here's my new SIM card.
1: Well, you wouldn't even have to do that. You would just have to call up their support department and say, hey, this is my number. This is my name. Okay, let's verify some details. Oh, I verify the details. uh, Transfer it to this uh, ICD, which would be the SIM card. And they would ask for your SIM number, and you would read it off. And then they would activate the service on that SIM card, which you would then have in your phone. And now you're getting their
0: text. I kind of feel like stuff like that, unfortunately, is still possible. because It is. I don't think the phone companies really have are good on security.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. That stuff, I still see stuff like that on the news all the time. Sim swapping is still a very big uh, technique that people do. So yeah, it's that stuff's still possible, a hundred percent to this day.
0: Were you doing that? You mentioned like other people you knew were doing like celebrities sim co- swapping so they could get photos and all that kind of stuff. Were you were you doing any sw- sim swapping at all?
1: Yeah, I was definitely doing SIM swapping. And on top of that, I was looking for bugs to expose that information I needed to be able to do a SIM swap. So there was a time with Verizon where they had uh, account number is all you needed to like as a verification method. And I found a JavaScript variable that disclosed the account number. So then I could call up with that account number I just disclosed and basically get the SIM transfer over to my device,
0: stuff like that. So let me ask, let me back up on that one. So, where would you read the JavaScript identifying someone's account number?
1: Well, so basically, they had this page called the Quick Pay page for Verizon Mm -hmm. where you would enter a phone number and then you could go into the web page and it would display your bill, you pay it. But if you inspect the code and you look into their HTML, you'll see a variable section, var, and then account number, and it would disclose the person's account number
0: right there. They can't encrypt that stuff? Like I would you, think, They should. Yeah. They
1: can. They 100% can encrypt it. It's just in this case, it was a sloppy programmer who just thought, let's just keep that in the public without having encrypted or anything actually there's there's lots of other alternatives where they didn't even need to have that in the coding at all that wasn't necessary i think
0: when they did patch it i think it did end up coming back encrypted wow and what would you do with the sim swapping the same thing just getting game accounts or what was like the most out there thing you did with the sim swapping
1: well originally it was game accounts and i started transitioning into crypto targeting altcoin companies and stuff and trying to break into their stuff and steal their crypto so this is the big transition where my morals were originally games counts might not be that bad to suddenly I'm thinking, hey, for some reason, it's okay to take someone's money. And I think, you know, it was a clear moral flaw at that point. If I, I obviously wouldn't in my head back then, I would never physically harm someone or point a gun at someone. I wouldn't have been able
0: to do that. So it's a slippery slope though, you, never, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. Games are like your gateway drug. And then you're like, ah, I'm just going to like look at a few photos from kim kardashian you didn't do that but and then eh, okay crypto this crypto stuff that's bullshit anyway i'm gonna just take some
1: yeah exactly you know i mean when i got into crypto there was a lot of criminals that were using it so i mean there still are to this day but it was sort of i got in like 2012 2013 and there's a lot of people using it on the deep web and stuff like that so
0: so, so you opinion, knew about crypto from the deep web because at this point you're you know selling the whole process of selling accounts probably brings you into the deep web, right? Yeah, well, I want to be able to sell an account without
1: some person reversing their money on me through PayPal or something. So how right. do I do that? Bitcoin peer-to-peer, no one can reverse on me once I get that money, it's in my wallet. So I was using crypto as an option for that. Then I would sell the crypto for PayPal to like a trustable source or something.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. So really, I mean, they always say first off, they always said this about the internet not just crypto that the internet was a, originally in the 90s they said the internet was being used for just all sorts of criminal activities right whatever and now it became crypto i think it's something like less than one tenth of one percent of transactions are, are criminal in nature but that's that's probably less than the u.s dollar anyway but uh but online certainly it's it's a it's a, in 2012 to 2014 that was probably the main use of, of bitcoin
1: yeah, typically that was that was was it was you know peer-to-peer stuff like that you you couldn't get reversed you know I think it was even more so back then uh, used by a lot of criminals
0: so so what would you do like how would you hack into crypto stuff
1: well I would look for backup phrases or private keys so obviously private key gives you direct access to the wallet so I would look for you know wallet backups recovery seeds I wouldn't be necessarily targeting the exchanges because uh, typically there is good security around that. And typically most people I would target, like the companies, they wouldn't just trust to have all their money in the exchange. They'd have some sort of backup somewhere.
0: Right. So when you have a, a wallet, that's a backup. A lot of times people would, um, you know, you have to know somehow what's called your private key, which is essentially a password into right. that wallet. And a lot of times the private keys, like a hundred digits and letters and all sorts of stuff basically make up a phrase that you could put in a database to associate with that private key?
1: Yeah, there is seed phrases, which could be anywhere from, I think it's like 12 to 21 and even longer. Uh, or you could have your private key, uh, which, you I mean, you could have either or. But the thing is, people would sometimes maybe go on their iCloud, take a photo of that seed, and well, if your iCloud's connected to the internet, well, now your seed's connected to the internet. So if I get into your iCloud, I suddenly have a photo of your seed right there. Or if you store your seed in a OneDrive file, well, there, you know, I've gone to your hotmail. Now I can see your recovery seed
0: and get into your wallet. So let's go through the whole process. So you, you would know who back in 2012 or 2013, it, it was sort of rare for someone to have crypto, but you knew people who had crypto because you would see their email addresses on the dark web. For instance, typically at that period, I wasn't going
1: after crypto. There was a point in about 2014 where I started looking into crypto a little more. But I had really no idea how to find these people at all. I was literally just going on Google and looking for people with Bitcoin and trying to break into their email. I didn't have like a formula on how to get crypto at that point. It didn't come until years later when I started thinking, like putting two and together how I might better target people or companies. So what would you do? Uh, so typically, I would look at CoinMarketCap and look at the top coin companies and I would go through them. Look at the, Back when I was into it, everyone had to announce who they were in crypto, otherwise you wouldn't be considered reputable. So there was a lot of people that were just publishing their personal information or at least their name and stuff. This is who I am. Trust my coin because of this. And then you, I would go through and target the sort of heads or the technical guys uh, in that company and try to break into their emails and see if I could see a backup. In some cases there was a script that they used to automate the sending of the crypto and obviously it has to pull from somewhere so the private key was a part of that source code stuff like that
0: and again they wouldn't encrypt private keys or anything
1: Uh, yeah uh, they I mean for that script to send it out they it would have to pull from a text file somehow so this was all just like a something that you or me could create today with Python or something to send out the money so they weren't doing it the most secure way
0: so 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 <laughs> You would use your older techniques that, that like the the either the gmail social engineering or some of these bugs involved in how you, you format the request to to change your password or you'd sim swap you would somehow get a hold of their email account or icloud account or whatever and then and you knew that they were had some crypto because they were involved in these various crypto projects so so you would use your old techniques to to get access to them
1: yeah, I would whether it be a bug or an exploit or whether it be social engineering, I would just do whatever it would really take to break into that account.
0: And roughly what percentage of these accounts would have some information about what their private key was?
1: Um uh, the thing is not a lot would. So there was a lot of misses, but sometimes if it was a company, I could see a list of their pre-sell investors. So now suddenly I have a whole list of people with their address, how much they bought that I can now individually target.
0: Right. And they're not going to be the most sophisticated necessarily.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, my biggest successes were with the altcoin companies. So, I mean, keep in mind, even these are major companies, even if one person slips up, well, that's millions of dollars right there.
0: What was the biggest hack you did during that period?
1: Well, the one I got arrested for was my biggest, which had 20 million in it, but I took 15 and then sent one mil back. Uh, I'm not sure why I didn't take 20. I think I still had some sort of moral, like I don't want to rob them for everything you got, as silly as that sounds, because if I'm robbing 15 million of them, you know I might as well take the extra five, but I think there was some moral thing trying to say, hey, we'll not take everything from them.
0: That's really interesting. It's almost like... You self-sabotage yourself in yeah, some way.
1: Exactly. Like,
0: like I hate it's almost a cliche to say you wanted to get caught. Cause I don't think that's true. But what do you think? What do you think it is?
1: I mean, I think in a way I I was being really reckless. I had actually at that time just broken up with a girlfriend. So I was a little sad about that. I was thinking in my head, I went to a completely other state just to hold The Sims myself and do the whole process, just basically me alone in a hotel room. So I wasn't in the best state of mind. I was being reckless. And when that happened, that was obviously the biggest hit I had ever done. I see 20 million, I'm freaking out. I mean, I had in the past found like a $5 million hit, stuff like that that was pretty big. But this was the biggest by far I'd ever seen.
0: So it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Like when you found a $5 million hit, did you suddenly go from being like, the regular person to having five million dollars? Like did you spend the five million or No,
1: I basically just kept it in crypto. I cashed out a little, but part of the reason I got a liar sentence was when I got arrested. I decided to fork up any money I had in my possession that was stolen in order to get a better deal to lighten my sentence. So the, it was actually benefit me in that case. I wasn't going out partying in LA, which a lot of these people that were doing it were—they were going in LA partying, spending a crazy amount of money. Most of the money I got was just saved, just sitting back there.
0: So and how 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 come you did that? Like how come you didn't say to yourself, "Okay, one last step is at least moving it over into." Well, I guess you don't want to move it over into dollars because then you have to report to the IRS. Right, it's a whole new exactly. level of legal. So I guess there's nothing to do. Like you like that's the issue that the two remember a few months ago, the two people who um the couple who got caught for right.
1: Yeah, that big one. Yeah, they yeah. were slowly laundering over the course of five plus years.
0: Right. It's hard to to kind of get the money out of those wallets because people could see the wallets still where, where yeah. they were sent. And they can see when money has moved out of those wallets. So that's part of the problem a little bit.
1: Um, I mean, there's techniques to avoid the money being traced. For example, laundering through Monero. You know, Monero is a privacy coin that doesn't appear on the blockchain. So the typical idea to clean Bitcoin is you get Bitcoin to, if you can get into Monero, then send the Monero to another address, then that blockchain transaction is hidden. Then send that Monero to another Monero address and use that Monero address to buy whatever crypto you want and then suddenly the paper trail's gone right there
0: so so but to get it from bitcoin to monero you have to sign up for an exchange or something right right?
1: so what i would do is i typically had a friend who knew a bunch of germans and i would basically pay him a little money to get these people to sign up for german binance's accounts and stuff like that so then they would give me their binance they would give him the binance i would buy it off him and i would use that uh binance account to like launder the money I see. So
0: they never, if they were ever asked, they would have no idea who you were.
1: Right. Exactly. And he didn't know who I
0: was exactly either. So. So I see. And then from there, from Binance, you go into Monero and then, and then you're clean. So how much did you kind of clear and spend altogether during this period before the 20 million one?
1: Um, I would say over, over 10, uh, I was involved with, obviously there was other people involved. Um, they got their share cuts for doing certain parts too.
0: Like how many people were involved altogether? Were you running the the whole thing?
1: Yeah, I was sort of at the time running, but the thing is, I was I had people that would just sit in a call with me, and I would just give them a bunch of money for essentially just watching me do most of the work. So I, I, I don't know. It, there were certain other people involved, but a lot of those people have got arrested too, like Joel Ortiz and stuff. Which I'm not sure if you heard the name, but first ever Sim Swapper arrest. So.
0: 'Cause you were using sim swaps initially as one of the ways to get the initial email addresses. Yeah,
1: not all it wasn't always a sim swap, but that was a reliant technique that I could fall back on.
0: And so when you got this twenty million dollar one, like what was your goal during this period? Like did you say, I'm gonna just get ten million in the bank and then I'm gonna disappear? Uh, I didn't.
1: I'm not quite sure at that point. At first, it was like, oh, I have two to three million. That's fine for now. I'm just going to take a break. But then crypto starts crashing in 2018. So now I'm suddenly thinking, hey, maybe I could get a little more. And I'm I'm getting a sense of it's, a, it's a, I mean, it's a big rush. You make millions of dollars overnight just quickly in a step like that. It's like it's sort of you get a rush of energy. So I'm enjoying doing it. But I'm also kind of starting to shy off. I didn't have a set number, though. I was just kind of doing it. And when my crypto dropped, I would
0: keep doing it. Did you ever think, hey, I might get caught. I need kind of an escape plan?
1: Yeah, that started to appear when the first person got arrested. Because keep in mind, we were doing this for a while, and no one had got arrested. But when Joel Ortiz got arrested, who was a close friend of mine, that's when I started, you know, really starting to be hesitant. But at that same time, crypto had dropped so much that I was still looking to make maybe just one more big one and then just chilling out
0: for a while. That one more big one always yeah, gets people. exactly. <laughs> what was your escape plan?
1: I hadn't thought that far out yet, man. I was hoping to just slowly launder the money into dollars. I didn't really have a game plan for that yet. It was sort of... Like you didn't think, okay, I'll
0: move to Switzerland where there's no extradition or something nah, like that?
1: I, it wasn't even like that. I've, I I, just... I had, I didn't have a game plan like that yet. Nothing like that. I, just was staying at home. I had a house with four roommates. It wasn't like I was a high profile or anything. I mean, I'm paying maybe $300 a month for rent, stuff like that. Did
0: anyone know, like did girlfriends or your roommates, did anyone know like how much potential you had in the accounts?
1: My roommates definitely knew something was up, but they didn't know the full details of exactly what I had.
0: Like when, when they asked you what you did for a living, what would you say? I mean, they knew I did something with
1: crypto, maybe an investor, ah. which wasn't too unbelievable at the time when stuff was pumping up. What about
0: girlfriends? Yeah, my girlfriend knew sort of what I was doing, but she didn't know I was still actively doing it. I see. So it wasn't it wasn't like a glamour thing, really, where you were using it to attract people.
1: No, you know? not, no. I was mostly just living, you know, still eating McDonald's pretty often, stuff like that. I wasn't going to five-star restaurants or going to LA and buying Rolexes.
0: So it was really kind of like the thrill of the chase a little bit, which is which almost sounds like a cliche also. But but maybe it's a combination of that. And just it was hard to kind of sort of, the, the next step is always kind of getting this money into your hands. And that it's, it's always a little harder than people think.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. You know, there were some people that took the approach of uh, just straight up cashing out and saying they were Bitcoin investors and just hoping the IRS didn't say anything. And for all I know, that might have worked for some people. But I I was doing the more process of thinking of a slow way to get
0: into my bank, stuff like that. And so this $20 million thing happens and what, what happens next?
1: So um I'm freaking out because it's 20 million. Like I said, I sent five million back and I send them an email saying, Hey, you know, you're an altcoin company. If you don't want us to crash your coin, then give us like eight million in Bitcoin. And I'll send you all fifteen million back and you can keep your coin and as a sign of good faith, I've sent you one million back so now if you send us a million, I'll send you the rest back
0: now did you do this because their coin it was a smaller coin, so was their coin not liquid enough that you could really cash out of it?
1: I could cash out of it uh but I would be coming out if I had done it like all through, I probably would have only got you know I would have got millions, but it would have been a lot less than that. 15 million amount
0: right because you would have crashed the coin or right okay and so so how did they respond
1: they didn't respond instead they got the uh police involved or the react task force which is a computer task force based in san jose and they hopped on that quick they got the secret service involved they started uh i messed up uh my ip got attached Briefly, I I don't know if the hotel Wi Fi cut out or what, but because I thought I had done everything perfect, but somehow that hotel IP got revealed to them. They subpoenaed the hotel. They got the name Joseph Harris, which they had must have already heard from people that had already got arrested. That that might be someone named Joseph Harris, named Doc. So I think my name was already sort of on a watch list. So when I slipped up, it was pretty easy for them to put to and to get together that oh, wow, 14 million just got hacked here. Someone that we have a name of interest in is staying at that hotel.
0: Okay, so so they got your, so because you sent an email to the company, they were able to trace that and find an IP address? Not from the email. I think it was through the process of when I was signing into that person's
1: Gmail. I think ah. for some, I don't know if my proxy, my VPN disconnected or what happened exactly, but for I guess for a brief moment, my hotel's IP was
0: exposed on the account. That's smart of them to um, to check not only where the email is coming from, but who logged into that email from where.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're
0: very, very how, good. How do they get that info? Do they have a deal with Google or I something? Think, or? I
1: think I would say they definitely have some sort of – I mean, if they can get the secret service over here quick, I think they do have good connections with Google.
0: Yeah, I wonder how much of Google's stuff is just free flowing back and forth with the government.
1: I, I would say a great deal, if I had to say, just based off my experience, how they were able to get all my Gmails and all that, they definitely got some sort of good deal with them.
0: And so then what happened, you're staying at this hotel, do they just knock on your door?
1: Uh, well, actually I've done it, but I'm feeling a little off. You know, I'm feeling a little off about everything. So I'm like, I, I call up my cousin. I'm like, hey, can you pick me up from Oklahoma? I'm feeling a little off about this. Uh, could you come pick me up? And he was like aware of what was going on. He wasn't involved, but my cousin is someone who I had trusted with what I was doing. So I told him a story and then we're like, okay, we'll get out of here. We stop at a gas station and that's when we secret service pulls out guns. They're undercover at the time. So at first I thought I was getting robbed because someone just undercover points a gun at the car, says, get out of the car. Then they cuff me and then they say, okay, secret service. And <laughs> that's where they arrest me.
0: Wow. Did your cousin get arrested also?
1: Yes, he did, actually. He's in the mugshot and stuff, but they released him after two days because they realized he didn't have anything to do with it. He wasn't even in Oklahoma when it happened.
0: And then what did they do with you? <laughs> uh,
1: well, what they did to me was they sent me to uh, the state of California where the crime was committed because the victim was a California citizen. So I'm uh, extradited from Oklahoma, which is not in my home state, to uh, California, brought on a plane... Uh, taken to California, and then I do the rest of my time there work out a deal where if I give up all my money and I'll have a probation period and if I commit any more crimes, obviously I'll be back in here, which I obviously passed, and I got sentenced
0: so so what was what was your sentence?
1: My sentence was sixteen months with half time, so I did sixteen months by California law for non nonviolent offenders they get out in eight months, so you get basically if you get a year, you do six months. If you get sixteen months, that's eight months. So I got out after uh, eight months' time.
0: Wow! And what kind of jail was it? Uh,
1: it was it was just a it was a place called Elmwood. It was in Santa Clara. It's just it was obviously pretty boring. You know, in prison you might get more activities, but jail I was just staying there. But I had I wasn't being sent away for enough time. Basically, it, the whole process of me getting sentence had taken already like seven months. So I, they just kept me in jail for another month.
0: I see. So in jail, you're just in a cell. Are you in a cell by yourself? Do you have a roommate?
1: I'm in dorm room environment. So there's basically a bunch of be- mats uh, set together and you just sleep. There's a little day room you can go to. But it's not like I am have a bunkie or anything. It's just basically just a room with a bunch of people sleeping. And
0: are there guards in the room?
1: Uh, yeah, there are guards outside the door and at the desk of the room. And they kind Cause of Because I imagine if,
0: if one person wants to... Be angry at another person or, or kill Oh, there someone. was
1: lots of fights. I mean, it would happen a couple times a week where someone would get a little violent. I never got any fights. I got along with most of the guys, uh, but there were definitely were some hotheads that
0: got some fights. How would how would you avoid the fights? Like, how would you make sure everything was calm all the time?
1: I mean, I just uh, they they said I was really mature for my age, at least what they said. And I just was chill to everyone. You know, uh, if someone might be having a bad day at commissary, I might give them some of my chips or something. You
0: know, I was just generally just cool with everyone. I see. So, uh, okay. So, when when did you get out, and how old were you? Um, I got
1: out. Well, I spent my twenty second birthday in jail. I got out. I went to ga rest in twenty eighteen. Finally, got out summer twenty nineteen. Um, so, I was twenty two at the time, and I got out. That was that was that. I was best day ever. Well, it felt like the best day ever. Did your parents pick you up? Like, yeah, what were they thinking at my, this time? Well, my parents are very understanding. You know, they felt like they might have done something wrong, which obviously they did. And I was just someone who got way in over my head and my yeah. mora- morals sort of got stricken from me. But they came to pick me up, you know, hugged my
0: mom. She took me back to Missouri. Okay, so tw- summer twenty. it's a good thing you didn't, you weren't in captivity in, you know, March San of 2020. Quentin.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, with COVID and stuff.
0: Because then they might have kept you there. Just in case. Yeah, I,
1: I missed it by a year, it looks like.
0: So and that so, was good. so what did you start you, you obviously I mean did you go to college or anything or
1: No, I just sort of started looking into bug bounties more. I just I I mean I took a break period where I wasn't really doing much. I was I went moved back with my mom, but then I started doing bug bounties a bit more, and that's sort of what I've been doing for a while.
0: So so a bug bounty is when a company posts on various websites hey if you find a bug on our products or on our website we'll pay you
1: yeah and obviously i had already had previous experience with that from doing it as a black hat finding bugs in like t-mobile and exploiting them to leak user data and stuff like that
0: so like what was what's like a, a legit bug bounty that that you did
1: well oh the, uh, first the, of
0: all where, where's a good site to find bug bounties
1: I mean, hackerone.com is a really good site. You can make a profile there, and there's a lot of different programs you can use. Like, I think most companies are there, like Yahoo's through there. Uh, Basically, all the big tech companies, a lot of them issue their bounties through HackerOne.
0: And so, how do I, I'm on hackerone.com right now. How do I see what companies are offering?
1: You probably uh, have to sign up. Yeah, I think you have to sign in. But you, there's, yeah, I think you have to go sign in. If you go to hacker1 slash hacktivity, I think you don't have to be signed in to see recent reports. So hacker1.com slash hacktivity, like right here, we see HTTP request smuggling with origin rules. We see uh, API doc exploits as an active token. so typically, I look for stuff like that
0: and report them. So here I see something signed in with Apple works on existing counts, bypasses two FA. What is that? What sort of thing does that mean? Is if that- I had to guess, that's I'm not. That doesn't
1: seem like it should be worth much. But I'm guessing uh, if you sign in with Apple, uh, you can bypass two step essentially. Like it doesn't ask you for the code. So instead of using, so instead of signing in and ask for two step, then I use sign in with Apple. I can bypass that two factor authentication. Which uh, one thousand dollars for that seems a bit high
0: to be honest. Uh, I so this is this is somebody, some company who has the, who noticed this problem, and he's trying to figure out how it happened. Well, or, it looks like it's by Matty PV Four,
1: and he did a Cloudflare, cloud which is a major company, so that explains more why the bounties. But it looks like he's done some other things. Signing with J, Apple generates long life JWT, which means that the JWT is going to last for a while, which is typically can be
0: considered a flaw. I see. So he's he's describing what the flaw is. Don't you just have to find the flaw, or I, I'm trying to understand. I mean, so typically you find the flaw, but then they're going to want a good
1: write-up explaining it because you know if you don't explain how it works good enough, they're not going to understand it. So typically, what I'll do is I'll I'll show a video documentation. Um, I actually have a YouTube channel where I disclose a lot, show some examples. If you want me to link it for you,
0: yeah, we'll promote your YouTube channel. in oh, yeah. the notes to the. Thing. So so here's one. Here's a De- Department of Defense one. Unauthorized access to internal servo panel without authentication. So is that is is this a, a hacker who's posting to the Department of Defense this about is, a problem that they're not aware of? Yes. This is someone,
1: Department of Defense has a bounty program through hacker one. So this guy is reporting it over here, uh, reflected XSS via something parameters. So someone's been able to pull off an XSS, which is a vulnerability to the us department of defense as well which
0: and this is like a five thousand dollar one i think let me just see i i skipped it
1: not sure Um, that one shows it um here's a uh let me see if i can see any high value here's a
0: playstation one twenty thousand dollars
1: oh yeah that's that's pretty exploit chain
0: yeah um so what does it mean it allows an attacker to gain jit capabilities and execute arbitrary payloads what does that mean
1: well, if I can uh, execute an arbitrary payload, basically I'm able to do stuff that, like an attacker payload. I'm not supposed to be able to do that, but I'm essentially able to um, just activate something, an exploit payload, which can run on the server. I'd have to look into it more to see the exact details on it. Um, but like you could run code on
0: the playstation yeah. server or it, the looks Pla- like, it looks like it's looks
1: like it's. i see now it says it's a weakness privilege escalation so privilege escalation is when i'm a regular user and i'm able to do privileges of like say an admin or basically uh do higher privilege things like if you're an admin you're able to do admin functions if i'm a regular user i shouldn't be able to do those admin functions so it looks like what he's able to do is act as if he's a higher level privilege user so basically he's readjusting a parameter and um Sending malicious code instead, which allows him to do higher access things
0: like what's a higher access thing?
1: I'm still reading into it to see exactly what
0: he's doing here. There's a lot to it oh it's it, he says it, it's possible to ship pirated games on blu ray discs,
1: yeah, yeah, something like that. That's not typically the kind of vulnerabilities I look into, but yeah that's a possibility like what's one
0: of the some of the ones that you've done
1: um some of the ones I've done like there's typically, I found a Microsoft one recently, which was an IDoR, which I was able to expose any user's like email address plus their linked IDs, stuff like that. I typically look for stuff like that, information uh, disclosures, broken ac- access control. Broken access control is just a broad category that summarizes when um, I'm able to perform unwanted functions as a regular user. Or for example, like I explained earlier with the Twitter thing, if I'm able to send tweet as another person's user ID, that's broken access control. To typically, they
0: arise when there's not uh, properly set like authorization headers. So someone is basically someone made a website, and maybe they used Microsoft's web server software. I forgot what it's called. Right and. They didn't set they didn't finish setting it up or they didn't set the access control correctly, which is or probably, maybe
1: maybe they use OAuth or something and they didn't set the bearer token to be specific to the user account. So suddenly I can use my bearer token that was just generated to access other people's user accounts or perform actions on
0: them. I see. It's fascinating. And then um like how much did that bug bounty pay? Uh that one paid about 2K. So it's nothing too crazy, but
1: it was a 2K bounty. How were you able to find it? Um, I actually was using Burp Suite to monitor the HTTP traffic, and I saw that there was a uh, in the request that had the user parameter as me. And I looked into sort of Xbox a little more, and because it was an Xbox related one uh, for Microsoft, and then I decided to try. I noticed in their dev resources they use XUID, and then the XUID, which is user ID, right there. So then I modified the me parameter with a. basically someone else's xuid and it let me view their information instead wow
0: so and that's kind of a pretty so that that so you basically have like a, a bag of tricks and for every um for every one of these bug bounties, you could try your various tricks to see if it kind of gets you act the access that exposes the problem.
1: Yeah, and keep in mind, my area of expertise is web hacking. So I do a lot of, and specifically, I love stuff relating to accounts because obviously that's what I used to do. And that's what I've been into. So stuff that leads to account information being disclosed, uh, bypassing stuff like two-factor authentication. Recently, I, do you know ProtonMail? Yeah. So I recently, found, which is kind
0: of a privacy email. Yeah,
1: and I recently found a way to bypass two-factor authentication. You probably know the term race condition or race hazard if you were doing stuff in the '90s. Yeah. Um, so what I basically, basically with their two-factor authentication code, it would be a GAuth code that you would have to type in. They were six digits. Now, what I decided to test for was something called race condition, where I send multiple concurrent requests and. After Basically, after three wrong tries, the session times out and your session ID becomes invalid. But what I figured out, if I send multiple concurrent requests at once, I was able to bypass that rate limit and suddenly get leverage more attempts per code. So what I would do was I'd basically run a bunch of concurrent requests trying to brute force that code, and I would send those requests all at once. And... It, one of the, and when the correct code is gotten, then I'm access privileges to the API. And so I can read the mail calls, all that
0: stuff. So, wow. So, so you're, so you basically had like 10 plus years experience, like learning this stuff. If someone wanted to learn like what, you know, how would they learn it? Um, the, like I said, portswigger.net.
1: there's a lot of labs, but some of them are out there. There's, uh, try to hack me, uh, Ah, uh, try hack me. There's uh, there's a lot of resources online. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot by just messing around with sort of just seeing how things function first. Just because keep in mind when I started, I wasn't even reading resources. I was just literally looking at HTTP traffic, seeing oh, what happens if I modify this? Or what happens if I change this user ID to this? And then that prompted me to more look into resources. Portswigger.net, there's some good resources there for web hacking. You know, there's it really depends. Obviously, there's different fields. Like, you know, there's exploit dev, which I don't really know much about, which is developing the malicious code to exploit websites. I'm more, my expertise is web hacking. So, Portswigger.net's good for uh, web hacking.
0: I mean, you should teach a course or something, or... I feel like you could start a security company, like take all of your things that you know, and you could probably do a sweep of every website to see if those problems exist.
1: Yeah, I've considered doing it. I would love to have something where someday I could focus on specifically account takeover-related techniques and stuff that exposes user data, as well as go over just social engineering techniques as well, Help companies provide for both. So i Yeah, I've like have you ever it.
0: considered reaching out to companies and saying, look, for... For ten thousand dollar one time fee, I'll do a complete sweep, and then five thousand dollars a month maintenance. I've
1: definitely yes, that's definitely something I wanted to do. I've like sometimes when I find a bug, I might reach out to the media a little just to get my name more. I want what I want is my name to be more cemented as a white hat, and once that happens, I feel like I have enough good reputation to be able to say, hey, you know. I did do some bad stuff, but I know what I'm talking about and I'm now able to, I've changed my ways. I'm willing to help you now. Stuff like Okay. That. Here's
0: what you should do. Here's what you should do. You should write a book because first off, even though a book is offline and the real world and so on, it still has legitimacy. Right. You should write a book called The White Hat Bible. You should explain in the beginning what you just said, you know, hey, I've done some wrong stuff, but now I'm totally white hat. And then you should kind of give every technique that you have, like one through 50 or whatever, and just very clearly simple language explain what it is how to do it how to find more info, info about it and just publish the white hat bible and and do a new version every year so people have to buy it every year and then look and then at the back you say hey if anybody um, needs specific consulting or has specific questions you know reach out to my company you know white whitehatsolutions.com and you know blah blah blah
1: that works hey you might have just gave me a million dollar pitch right there so you never know
0: A, who wouldn't buy the book who works in security? And B, who wouldn't hire you afterwards if they have questions, if they're over their heads?
1: Yeah, and actually, I did the Darknet Diaries, actually had a decent amount of people reach out to me on Twitter, which uh, of course you were one of them or your team was. Yeah. But uh, just asking about how did I get into it and stuff. And, you know, they asked, someone asked if they had found a bug here. I was like, not not quite, but he still gave him some tips on what he was trying, what he was seeing on his screen.
0: Now, now this is this is not related to a, account takeovers, but how many companies out there, percentage wise, do you think are infected by bots of some sort?
1: Um, that I wouldn't be the right per- person to give you numbers on that. I will say that there are a lot of companies don't have proper rate limits when it comes to bots. Uh, so a lot of companies, I would say like Twitter, there can be bots for Twitter. I would say a decent amount. I, I wouldn't be able to give you exact numbers because that's not necessarily my area. But just from what I know, like I could, for example, if I wanted to make a Twitter bot, I could do that right now. Stuff like that.
0: Because you just know so many sites related to all this stuff that you know, you know where all the skeletons are.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know what to look for if I was to do that.
0: That could be a chapter in your book, how to make a Twitter bot. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, uh, well, Joseph Harris, you have such an amazing story. I'm glad you are on the good side of things. Me too. And, 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 you know, but were you, when they arrested you, were you like, literally like, were you, did you cry? Like, what did you do? I didn't cry. I just had sort of a thought like, Wow.
1: Like, what have I done? You know, when they tell you, when they know what you've done and they've got you solid to the gun, you know, it's just sort of a time of reflection. You know, I'm very grateful to the prosecutors for the sentence I got, which, in my opinion, was a little light. I do think me giving up all the funds and stuff contributed to it, but it was a real eye opener for me. And I'm just glad that that experience happened in the way it did because I was able to learn from it. I was starting I was able to get sort of my morals back. And just realize how terrible, uh, what kind of that stuff does and how financially
0: devastating is the people that are impacted by it. Oh, my gosh. So uh, were you bailed out at all for any amount of time? Uh,
1: My bail, get this, it was set at $14 million, which that's got to be some sort of uh, California record or something.
0: I guess because you were talking about so many millions of dollars, they don't know if this is the only thing you've got, or if you got a hundred million stashed away in Switzerland, and you you probably were an escape risk. Yeah.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, do I think fourteen? Yeah, exactly. The judge did after a few months lower it to one million, but there was still no way I was going to pay for that.
0: Yeah. Right, because you gave all the money back.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So if you did, actually, maybe that was even a trick. Maybe if you did give back. If, if, maybe if you did pay 1 million for bail, they would ask you, Hey, you lied to us. You told yeah. us you, so that could have been a trick.
1: Yeah. I was very, I just gave up everything I had to my lawyer and just told my lawyer exactly which wallets I'd use. Just so it was clear because I didn't want them thinking I was hiding anything because, Oh, you've given up millions of dollars, but now you're, are you hiding something more? I don't want to give them any reason to say, Hey, we don't think you've given up all the money.
0: Well, you know, good, good luck. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, and, Talking about this, what's what's your YouTube channel? Uh,
1: my YouTube channel, I'd have to give you the channel URL.
0: It doesn't have a custom
1: URL, but can I link that in the chat? Let me see if there's an option for that. Well, But if I search
0: YouTube, how would I find you?
1: Uh, the, it's this this YouTube. I would look up, um, you can look up, to find my channel, I would just search up Google, Gmail slash Google sign up zero day, and I think it, my channel would come up pretty quick.
0: Oh yeah, Joseph Harris, you're the first result. I'm telling you, write the White Hat Bible. Has anyone yeah. written a book with that title? Uh, I no,
1: You should maybe copyright that too. Maybe you'll get some royalty fees if I do.
0: No, nobody's done it. It's all yours, man. Oh, and and man. then set up like a million dollar consulting firm. You've got the skills.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate that.
0: So come on the podcast anytime. Next time there's a big hack, we'll have you on. You could explain how it was done. For sure, anytime. It was a pleasure, James. Pleasure here. Thank you, Joseph.
1: Thank you.